Okay, I have a teaching I am really very excited about sharing, so I'm just going to get started. Our Mary Lou, will you pass those out? Thank you. So this teaching, I believe, is a powerful, powerful teaching, a practical teaching for all of us. The title is Surround Yourself with Faith Builders. Now, I see a lot of new faces here today, and I'm just going to say, you're in a good place, you're in a safe place, and you're in a place of faith builders. You are right now in a place where we have many people who are strong believers in the healing grace of God. The name of this meeting is Jesus the Healer. Jesus is the centerpiece. Jesus is the, the, the heart of everything we do here because he's the healer. And when you come together with like-minded believers, there is something where, where you are built up and strengthened and given something that you can walk out of this room with and take with you and apply at home. And it's, it's just so powerful. It's so important to surround yourself with faith builders. Can, can you give, the, give me just a touch more? So, this has a subtitle. And the subtitle is, Not Faith Killers. Surround yourself with faith builders and not faith killers. In this world that we live in, we are often in an environment where there is great, great um, worst-case scenarios that are given to us. Our medical people that we go to, and it's good to go to doctors. There's nothing wrong with going to doctors. But when we go to doctors, their job is to give us information. Their job is to tell us what's going on and to give us all of the details and to give us all of the possible everything. So basically what we're doing often when we go to the doctor is we're hearing worst-case scenarios. Another thing that often happens in when, when you have any issue whether it's a physical issue, whether it's a, an emotional concern, whether it's a relational concern, but it seems like whatever the concern is, well-meaning people come out of the woodwork. And when they do, they talk the problem. They're doing it because they love you, but they're talking the problem with you. And many times, not only are they talking the problem, they're also telling stories of other people that have similar problems, but oftentimes the results of those other people aren't good. And they come and they share that kind of thing with you. It's a faith killer. Another thing that often happens is that um, people talk about the situation when you're not around. So you've got whatever's going on in your body or in your life, and Though your work colleagues are talking about it in the, in the staff room and your family is talking about it amongst themselves. And what's happening is that there's a lot of negative talk going on about the problem. For those of you who don't know my story, I was diagnosed with stage 4 melanoma 15 years ago, given 6 to 9 months to live, and then miraculously healed. Yay, God. Praise him. Praise him. I have a friend who is, I was a school teacher at the time, and I have a friend, and she told me, she said, Cindy, you can't believe what they were talking about in the staff room. 
they had you dead and buried. I mean, that's, that was the talk of the staff room. So all of that stuff's going on. Those are faith killers. I'm going to share a, a scripture with you. It's not on your handout, but it is on the screen. This is King David. It's from the Psalms. It's Psalm 41, verses 7 and 8. And King David says, All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, A vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. That's, that's King David. We could probably all say the same thing in some situation or some time in our life. What I want to show you now is what Jesus did when he was in this kind of a situation, when he was ministering to people who were in this kind of a situation. What did Jesus do? I'm going to read the scripture, the very familiar scripture in Mark chapter 5, where Jairus comes to Jesus because his daughter is dying. I'm going to start in Mark chapter 5, verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official and said, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion, and people were loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. And then they began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took, the chi- he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. And then, taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, little girl, um, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. So here we see Jesus, and he took a lot of action. The first thing he did when, when the father was told that his daughter died, the first thing he did was he t- went right to that man and he said, don't be afraid. Only believe. He immediately was encouraging the man. He was stopping him in his tracks to, to change his focus from the worst case scenario to the best case scenario. Don't be afraid. Only believe and your daughter will be made well. Then he chose only his three closest apostles to go with him. When he, when he was moving to the, to, the, to the man's house, he was going to the house, he was met with what I'm um, calling faith killers. He was met with the people who were wailing and crying. It didn't faze him. He said, oh no, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. He was speaking in faith. He was only speaking in his faith. He had that father with him and he wasn't going to let anything shipwreck This miracle, because Jesus knew what was going to happen. He had a heart connected to the heart of the Father. He had a heart that reflects that he's the the visible representation of the invisible. 
So he said, oh, no, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. Then what did he get? The ridicule. The people laughing at him. We, I see people like that all the time. I talked to a woman yesterday who said people are ridiculing her for believing in healing. They are telling her that she's in denial. And these are people that love her. They're her family. We encounter this kind of stuff in life. Jesus immediately just went by them, took only the father and the mother because they had a big, uh, they had a lot invested. They had their beautiful little girl. And he took his three apostles and they went in and he raised that little girl from the dead. This is an example of what we need to do. We need to avoid faith killers. We need to avoid unbelieving believers. That's what I call them. People who say they believe in Jesus. They believe in, and they do. They do believe in Jesus. But they don't believe that it's always God's will to heal. I just did a teaching last night on Monday. Um, and I'll give you more information about that later. But I teach a 10-week study, Bible study on healing. Very foundational study. And last night I gave lots and lots and lots of evidence that it is God's will to heal. There's no if in the equation of healing, period. It's a done deal. And I can share that information with you in another time. But I want to continue on my train of thought right now. There are people who don't believe that way. And it can get you off track. You can feel like you're in this place of believing the finished work of Christ. And then you're in this place where everybody's giving you all sorts of other explanations. The issue is they're allowing experience to define their theology instead of Jesus and instead of his word. So we need to be careful and cautious to avoid those people who are negative and feel it's their duty to inform us of every negative piece of the situation. As much as possible, we need to turn off negative voices. As much as possible, we need to shut off and not feed ourselves with resources that will discourage us. It's important to control the information that you feed into your heart and into your lives. The way that I like to to, um, define this, we need to starve doubt. And we need to feed our faith. We starve our doubt with doing our best to guard our heart from negative words, from negative people, from resources. We don't need all those resources. And we need to fill our faith, feed our faith with Jesus, with the words, with the works of Jesus and the truth from the word. So before I get to the the meat of this teaching, which is the faith builder part, I want to share one more thing about faith killers. There is a very um, subtle um, difference between human sympathy and godly compassion and I want to I want to I want to expose this because it's a deception. Human sympathy is a counterfeit for godly compassion. One is really good, and one isn't. Human sympathy is when people come into agreement with you in the problem. 
They talk with you about the problem in such a way that you're um, uh, speaking all kinds of information and details about the, the diagnosis and the prognosis and the symptoms and the pain and this everything. And the, the, the sympathy, the people who are in sympathy, encourage you to talk about it, encourage you to talk about all of everything that's going on. Sympathy acknowledges the problem but doesn't offer you the solution. They're helping you to, to live with it, but they're not helping you to be healed. Think about Jesus for a minute. He didn't offer people coping skills. He offered them deliverance. He didn't give the, the blind man a seeing eye dog. He healed him. He didn't give the lame man a cane. He healed him. God's will is for us to be well. Godly compassion, on the other hand, godly compassion is practical, biblical, and bold. Let me explain those three words. Practical means that I give, when when I talk to you, when people call me on the phone, when I'm praying with people or giving them um, help, my kind of help, I give them steps to take to help them to walk through their healing journey in faith with Jesus. It's biblical in that everything that we share, this godly compassion, is based on the Bible truth. So I point out what the Bible says, what Scripture says, what Jesus did. And it's bold. Godly compassion is bold. And in a loving way, it is important for me, for a minister of healing, for anybody that's ministering to their friends or their loved ones, to, to, to be straightforward. And to, to, for example, let me give you an example. If there's a person who's really feeding the problem and talking about the problem a lot, a lot, I will stop you and say, Let's pray. Let's go to Jesus. Let's stop talking about the problem and go to the healer. If I hear you claiming the disease and receiving it and saying it's, it's my cancer or my problem or my whatever it is, and, you're, and you sound like you're receiving it as yours, I will lovingly say, don't receive it. Don't receive it. Yes, it's a fact. The doctor says it's a fact. I'm not denying it's a fact. But don't receive it. Deny it's right. By the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. You don't want to receive it, or you will have it. So compassion is practical and biblical and bold. And the focus and the anchor of compassion is always Jesus. It's his word, his will. We point people to Jesus. So what does this look like? What does compassion look like? Compassion is someone who agrees with you in the healing grace of God, not in the problem. Compassion is someone who is strong with you instead of pitying you in, in your time of um, you know, weakness or whatever it is that's going on in your life. Compassion is someone who speaks God's promises over you 
and doesn't talk with you in detail about the problem. So faith killers, faith builders. We're going to switch focus now and talk about faith builders. Surround yourself with faith builders. Another name for a faith builder is a faith revealer. Somebody who reveals what Jesus says, who reveals Jesus the healer. A faith builder, a faith revealer will always point you to the word and to Jesus, who is the word made flesh. So there are three areas that I, that personally, I think are really important to surround yourself with people who are faith builders. The first is a mentor, a faith friend or a mentor, somebody that you can turn to at any time, somebody who you can call, somebody who you can talk to, somebody who you're connected with, who is a faith-filled person. When I was diagnosed with cancer, this young teacher who started to teach me about Jesus the healer, she was my spiritual mentor. I had so many questions for her, and I would go to her with my questions. I would write them down, and I would go to her, and I'd have her help me with those questions. She was always there for me. When I was weak and I couldn't do it on my own, I would call her. I'd say, Jenny, please pray, and she would pray for me. It's really important to have a person like that. I have, in my life right now, I have three of those kind of people. About a year ago, God showed me I needed to do that. I already had one of a kind of a spiritual mother who has really been strong for me when I need that person to, to just uh, bring me back to where I need to be. We all need that sometimes. But then I also have two people that God showed me that I can be um, a faith friend with. And I am connected with them very closely. We all need that. But I'm going to give you another direction, and this is an important one. It's your responsibility to call that person. Once you have that person in your life, you need to pick up the phone and call them when you need them. If you have a question, if you're not feeling strong, if you need somebody to pray in agreement, you need to call them. I have phone calls every day. I want people to call. I want to stand with them in faith and build them up. We all need that. But you have to be the one to do the calling. Usually when you're at that point, you don't feel like talking to somebody. And that's when it's even more important to remember this right now. Cindy said, I need to call. It's so very vital. The second level of this faith, um, um, having being surrounded by people of faith, the second level is a small group. Small groups are powerful. I, even though this is a teaching setting, I do consider this a small group because we're all in like mind. We have a lot of people with, uh, that are on our ministry team that are strong, believing believers. And we always have prayer available before the meeting and after the meeting. We have corporate prayer. We're going to move into that in about 20 minutes. And we have individual prayer. We are available. You can interact with us. If you go to church on Sunday, you really don't have that opportunity. But you do in a small group. 
when I was going through the, the healing journey that I went through, I joined a small group right away. And there wasn't a healing group. There was nothing such as this 15 years ago that I knew about. So I, I joined a small group. There was like six people. And they were my family. They kept me in their arms, in their fold. And every week we would go for a study, and we always studied the Bible. But they also walked with me through my journey. So whatever the situation was that week, maybe I was going to have a CAT scan that week. Maybe I was going to have a doctor's appointment with that week. But whatever it was, they were there with me. They would pray with me. They would intercede for me through the week. They would encourage me. They were my cheerleaders. I needed that. So a small group environment is really, really powerful. That is surrounding yourself with faith builders. Now, I'm going to read a scripture right now that I think is an important one to read. It's from um, Exodus. And this is an example of Moses, the mighty man of Moses, the man who wrote at least the first five books of the Bible. This, this man who God chose to lead his people through the wilderness and into the land of milk and honey. And even Moses was weak at times. Even Moses needed help. So this scripture is um, starting in Exodus 17. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on, and then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. And I want you to focus on that last sentence. As a result, Joseph overwhelmed the army. As a result, when you're in that place where you are, you just can't do it on your own. And many of us have been there. You may have uh, an illness where you just, you can't pray for yourself. There may be pain. There may be a hospital stay. There may be a time when you can't do it by yourself. And you need somebody praying for you. You need somebody holding up your arms in battle because you can't do it on your own. That is what the body of Christ is for. That's when we come together and we hold up your hands for you. And we pray for you. And we intercede for you. And we believe for you. And we overwhelm the work of the enemy for you and with you. We need to surround ourselves with faith builders. And now I'm going to say something that is so important. The opposite's also true. If you isolate yourself, it's dangerous. If you isolate yourself, if you say, 
I'm just going to stay home because, because of whatever reason. And you're home by yourself. All of the, the benefits of having faith surrounding you, you lose out on. Many times the opposite happens and you become oppressed. You become um, weak in your body and in your faith. You become squelched. It's like the enemy has a way with you. I have seen too many people, friends, who for one reason or another decide to stay home. There's one woman I'm thinking of, and, and I don't, I'm just going to give you this example because I, it's a, I just I think I need to. This is a woman who I knew really well. She was a beautiful, beautiful woman. And I saw her healed of cancer. I saw her miraculously healed and whole. At one point, um, her uh, test started to show some um, not-so-good numbers in the scans that they do. They're called CA... I don't know what they are. No, it's not a CAT scan. It's a blood test of some sort. Anyway, her numbers didn't look good. And so she started to go to an alternative med doctor, and the doctor gave her a bunch of supplements to take and different things to do, which is great. Nothing, No problem with that. But one of the things that he told her was that she needed to stay away from people to protect herself. And now, I'm, a doctor say that quite frequently, that you need to protect yourself and your immune system from being in, in, in places like this. She stopped coming to our healing meetings. She was on our ministry team. She was there all the time. She stopped coming. When I went and saw her the day before she died, she told me that was the biggest mistake she ever made. She secluded herself. She isolated herself. She didn't surround herself with faith builders. And her faith just diminished and diminished and diminished. So surround yourself with faith builders, with people. Small groups and individuals and, I didn't do the third level yet, your church. Your church. It is so important to attend a church where you can worship God and come together corporately, worshiping God, believing God, hearing his word, being fed his word. It's awesome. I love church. But it's important, and I'm just going to say this. Again, I'm, I'm being bold. I'm doing the godly compassion thing right now. It is important that, that it, the church that, that, you, that you're fed in is, is in agreement with the word of God. Or there can be confusion. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened to me 15 years ago. When I was diagnosed with cancer, before I was diagnosed, I grew up in a very beautiful family. I have an amazing family. They're uh, all Catholic, and I have an amazing Catholic family with, that are faithful, that are loving, that are a beautiful family. When I was diagnosed with cancer, my girlfriend invited me to a Christian church, and I went because I went to a healing meeting. That's the only reason I went, was to go to this healing meeting. And then... My friends started sharing all this good news with me, and I joined this small group, and I was getting fed really richly. And I made the choice to do both. So I went to the Catholic church every Sunday, every Saturday, and I went to this new Christian church every Sunday. 
And what happened was a, a lot of deep truths started to be to grow in my heart that I'd never experienced before. And I was, I was being fed. I felt like I was being fed like this rich, rich manna that I had never been fed before. It was just new. It was, it was very rich in my spiritual journey. When I had grown up in my, in my Catholic faith, it was a powerful faith. I had a very strong faith-filled family. But I had never seen a miracle. I was 43 years old when I was diagnosed with cancer, and I had never seen a miracle in my whole 43 years. And I had never believed for a miracle. I'd never known anybody else that had believed for a miracle. And all of a sudden, I'm in a new environment that is sharing some really good news with me. I had a death sentence, and I had some really good news that Jesus paid for my healing. And I chose to to surround myself with that good news. This is what God did for me. Over time, gradually, over time, God completely released me from my, my Catholic um, requirement, whatever you want to call it, obligation. I still know that that's my foundation of faith, and it always will be. But now I've built upon that, and, and it was important for me not to have the conflicting teaching that it's not always God's will, and then knowing, according to the word, that it is always God's will. So that was my choice. So surround yourselves with faith builders. The next piece of this teaching, the truth is that the word of God should be your number one faith builder. The word of God should be your number one faith revealer. I'm going to read a scripture from Romans. This is 10, verses 13 through 17. This is what it says. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So in this scripture, it talks about the importance of hearing the word. It, it, it talks about the good news. I remember when I first heard the good news of healing. When I had a death sentence, believe me, it was a breath of fresh air. It was such good news. It felt too good to be true news, but it was better than the alternative. So that's why I just started receiving it, taking it in, and hearing it. But I needed a preacher. I needed somebody to tell me. I needed somebody to tell me the good news. And then at the end of the scripture, it says, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is the word about Christ. It's all about Jesus. That's why this meeting's called All About Jesus. That's who it's about. 
It's about him and his word, him and his promises. Pastor Tim says this all the time, and I do too. And that is that it is so important to have a promise or a couple promises from the word that are your promises for the situation you're in. There's promises in there for healing, lots and lots of promises. Those little books that Barb was telling you about are little books of healing promises where the promises of healing have been taken and put in this little, this little pocketbook so you can easily access them. But it's so important to take those promises and let them feed you, to meditate on them, to speak them out loud, to talk to God about them, to allow them to become a part of your heart. In Psalm 119, verses 89 and 90, the Bible says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven, standing firm and unchangeable. Your faithfulness continues from generation to generation. So if he says it, it's settled. It's settled. There's one scripture I love that is actually the title, or is part of the title of my healing Bible study. It's, I think it's 2 Corinthians 1.20, and it says that all of God's promises are yes and amen. And it's all, the promises have been fulfilled through Jesus, and our part is to agree with God. His promises are settled, and he's faithful. So the word should be our very top faith builder. The next piece that I want to share with you is called the attention factor. And this is in in, um, association with the power of the word being our faith builder. The attention factor. When we focus on the word and the promises of God for healing and on Jesus, there is an environment that is created for faith to... um, Uh, uh, mature and for healing to manifest. Life and health flow when we give attention to the word. Now what I want you to think about right now is any time in your life when you have had an aggressive treatment of any sort. Maybe it's physical therapy. Maybe it's Um, uh, um, chemotherapy. Maybe you needed to go to the chiropractor every several days for for, uh, an issue in your back. But think about any time when you needed an aggressive physical support of any kind. When that happens, you need to adjust your life, you need to adjust your schedule, you need to make it a priority in order for it to work. You need to follow it through. This that I'm talking about right now, the focus factor, is the same thing, but it's in the spiritual realm. And it's important that we choose to set our, our, to, to arrange our life in such a way that we can give our focus to the promises of God. Because that's the number one faith builder. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to share a very familiar scripture. This is um, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 23. But I'm going to show you one line at a time how God 
gives us the powerful truth about how important the attention factor is. Okay, so here we go. Verse 20. My son, we could also say my daughter, give attention to my words. He's saying, pay attention, guys. The attention factor, pay attention to my words. That word attention means taking care of, watching over it, guarding it, spending time with it, focusing on it. And then he says, incline your ear to my sayings. Are you listening to what God is saying? Because you know, we've all done it. We've read not just the Bible, but pretty much any book. And you can let it go and you're not even saying it out loud, but it goes in one ear and out the other and you don't even focus on it. God says, listen, when you're reading this amazing treasure, listen. And then here's a big question. Do you agree with it? When you're reading these promises, are you choosing to agree with God? Or are you making the decision that after you see the result, then you'll make up your mind whether you agree or not? Many of us do that. Jesus addressed that. He said, blessed are those who believe before they see or without seeing. The next part of the scripture says, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Your heart is different than your mind. If God's word is just in your mind, you may very likely get be one of those that the Bible talks about that gets tossed to and fro and is... Um, and, and there's doubt and unbelief, and then there's faith, and then there's fear, and then there's this bouncing back and forth, if it's just here. But when you have that attention factor that I'm talking about, it won't be just here. If you are focusing on the promises, if you are listening, if you are putting your eyes and your ears and your attention, and letting the word take uh, root in your heart, If you are abiding in the promises of God and allowing those promises to abide in you, it will be in your heart. And the result is that you will be focused. It will be a heart matter. It won't just be a head matter. And then here's the result. They will be life to those who find them. When it says they, it's referring to those promises, the word. For they are life. That's good news. That word life is the Hebrew word che, C-H-A-Y, and it means physical life. It means everything in your body is working correctly. Your organs, your systems, your heart, your blood, everything in you is working, and, and you are living life. It says here that the word, when you have your attention on it, when it's in your heart, when you're inclining your ears to that promise, it says that it becomes life to you and health. The next line says, and health to all their flesh. Wow. The word health can be even deeper than health. It also means medicine. 
the word, when we have it in our focus, in our attention, it's literally medicine. And it brings health and healing. Or I should say healing and health. It's medicine. And it brings healing and health to our flesh. That's, that's our body. That is not a spiritual healing. That is, brings healing to our flesh. And then verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. We have to be diligent to guard our heart. That's why I started this whole teaching with the importance of guarding your heart from faith killers. Your heart determines what you believe. If you're not guarding your heart, if, those, if you're letting those faith killers in, you may hear negative things that can cause all those doubt, fear, unbelief things. And you become defeated. But if you stand believing and declaring God's word is true, no matter what the doctor says, let me say that again. If you stand believing that God's word is true, no matter what the doctor's report is, no matter what the symptoms are in your body, no matter what you're feeling, then the power of the word has the, the opening to work in your life. And it says here, out of your heart springs the issues of life. And that means source. The word issues is source. Out of your heart springs the source of life. That's good news. So I want to I want to close with one last point. And that is the power of hearing about Jesus. The power of hearing about Jesus. I'm going to read two examples from scripture. The first one is Mark 5, verses 25 through 28. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. The start of her whole healing was hearing about Jesus. She heard the reputation of Jesus. This is before we know, we know so much more than she did. We know about Jesus, our savior, Jesus, our healer, Jesus, our redeemer. She didn't know all that. But she had heard about the miracles. She had heard about what was, what was happening when Jesus was around. His teaching astonished people. He didn't teach like the scribes or the people in the, the synagogues. He was different. She had heard about Jesus. And because of what she heard, she went believing. She says, if I can only touch his robe, I know I'll be healed. But she heard about Jesus. And the second example is one chapter later in the same gospel, of Mark. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret, and they brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once, and they ran through the whole area carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe. And all who touched him were healed. Okay, so we go from the one woman with the issue of blood to the multitudes. 
They were bringing everybody. Everybody was hearing about Jesus. They were all coming. They were bringing everybody they knew. And all were healed. They heard about Jesus. Now, fast forward to you and to me. We need to hear about Jesus. We need to experience Jesus. Speak about Jesus. That's why this is all about Jesus. And one of the ways to do that is to go and read the gospel accounts of what Jesus did. And see yourself in that story. Put yourself in that that crowd of people, that multitude, who were coming to Jesus and all were healed. Put yourself in the place of that woman who pressed through the crowd to touch Jesus' hem. Put your place in the, in the place of Zacchaeus who was in the tree, waiting to see Jesus come by. And then Jesus called him by name. Put yourself in those gospel accounts. And also, look at Jesus right here today, right now. Look at testimonies of Jesus today. I have so many testimonies of healing. Person after person, cancer after cancer. We saw a woman's blind eyes healed in here. We saw a woman about two weeks ago who had a stroke. And her eye, her vision, she had this place in her vision that was just fuzzy. When she looked, there was one piece of her vision, a big piece. That it was fuzzy. And all of it came back with clarity. We've had a woman in here who was diagnosed with lupus and was in extreme pain. She had to quit her job. She was in her home, in bed, for like a year. She came here and was healed in one night. She's a new woman. She's completely whole. She went back to the doctor. There's no more lupus. She's completely healed. We see Jesus heal all the time. He's the healer. I have a woman that comes to our Monday night meetings who started coming about a year ago with stage 4 breast cancer. It had metastasized to her, to her bones. And when she came in, she came in with a walker, and she was so weak she could barely get in from the parking lot into the building. She's now completely healed. She is so healed. She is so healed. She radiates health, and wholeness against all odds. I need to just bring in a bunch of testimonies and share how we see Jesus moving all the time. So feed on Jesus. Put your eyes, put your ears on Jesus. Because what you're doing is you're surrounding yourself with faith builders. Hearing about Jesus is a faith builder. Reading the promises of Jesus is a faith builder. Putting your attention, your focus, the attention factor on his promises is a faith builder. And surrounding yourself with people of like-minded faith and coming out of your home is a faith builder. And it's positioning yourself not only to be healed. That's just a bonus. But it's positioning yourself To know the healer. It's positioning yourself to live the fullness of life that Jesus came to give you. It's positioning yourself to rise up in joy and in strength and in in anticipation of what God's going to do next. And it's good. It's good. 
So I just pray right now a blessing, God, a blessing of multiplication over the seed that was just sown. You multiply the fish and the bread, God. You can multiply that truth. You can multiply that, that, that deep promise that you have for us. God, I know, I know that your will is always to heal. So I pray that the faith for us to believe and receive is just magnified and multiplied. So, Father, as we pray right now, I pray that the anointing of the Holy Spirit for healing is rich and thick and heavy and flowing like a river. I know that when we talk about healing, the anointing for healing is present. So as we prepare to pray, I just pray that we are uh, in a position of anticipation and expectation of your love, of your finished work and your great grace being poured out tonight. God, we love you. We adore you. And we can't wait to see you revealed even more tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.